Welcome everyone to episode 12 of Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. And we have a big, big, big subject to talk about today, Melf. It can be a little bit controversial, and that is obesity. Absolutely, yes. And it's very controversial, very sensitive subject for a lot of people. So we're not going to tiptoe too much about it. We're going to be as honest as we can and, and back it up with evidence as we'd like to do with most podcasts. Yeah, we don't want to come across like we're fattest or fat shaming or anything in this podcast as well. We're just going to get very straight to the point. So we're going to get all the disclaimers out the way. Welcome to Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Two PTs talking about life inside and outside of the fitness industry. And we are going to be talking about childhood obesity in this as well. So some of you might find this a little bit hard to hear, um, but I just want to get out there that neither of us are doctors. I'm not a parent. Well, at least I know I'm not a parent. Maybe there's <laughs> one somewhere or two. Um, so Mike, you're a parent as well. So you could have some input into this as well about child obesity. Now, we want to give you some stats, first of all, to give you an idea of the obesity crisis. Mike, hit me the numbers. Well, I found an NHS publication in 2018, and that relates to adults in England being overweight or obese, being at 63%. And of that, 28% of that was obese. The age ranges, generally, the majority of people that were overweight or obese was males between 55 to 65, and the female age range was 65 to 75. 75 yeah. What about yourself, Matt? Now, I want to give you a little, I want to give you a stat, I haven't told you about this, but when we look at obesity, it leads to about 2.8 million adult deaths per year. This is through type 2 diabetes, having high blood pressure, heart disease and stroke, certain types of cancer fatty liver disease kidney disease case this all falls under this 2.8 million now i looked at the current covid death toll and that is 590,000. so you can see what i mean by this that obesity is a bigger killer than covid at the moment actually five times bigger than covid19 at the moment again we're not bashing this sort of stuff and for us it's more that we're talking about the facts here and, and what the research tells us about you know how this an epidemic of obesity is killing people yeah and also you know we've got to remember this is also a strain in this country on the nhs as well so if you're going in for like a, a knee operation a back operation a heart surgery you'll get medicated for type 2 diabetes without sounding too harsh that is a strain on the nhs yes and referring back to our podcast on episode six with Dr. Rahul and he spoke about one of the sort of preventions of how we can ourselves influence that and, and help the NHS. I know we're, we're very big on that at the moment about supporting the NHS and what a fantastic job they're doing not only with COVID but as, as a general sort of everyday practice you know the, the amount of stress and strain their staff are under and yet they're still doing a fantastic job in my opinion anyway so what better way to, to help them and, and help ourselves by looking after ourselves a bit better. 
Yeah, and during this time as well, and I don't want to do relate too much to COVID because people might be listening to this great podcast, Mike, in 10 years' time and not fully understand what we're talking about. But in this time, we've either seen, well, I've, I've personally spoke to a few people that have gone during this whole lockdown period as we're sort of coming out of this, people have gone one way or another. Some people found a real enthusiasm for fitness and walking and some have gone completely the other way. Would you agree, mate? It's been actually really great to see people on my social media who... You know, you see them taking themselves with walks with family, getting a bike, and it's really encouraging. It's fantastic to see the, the nation taking it more seriously and enjoying exercise, doing landscape gardening or Ooh. DIY, just, just everyday stuff to keep yourself moving. Again, obviously, referring back to uh, Dr. Rahul on episode six, we talk about old Silvio de Stallion. Remember him? The made up one, yep. The made up man, man, up the 100 yep. year old legend. These are the countries like, you know, parts of Italy, Greece, Costa Rica, and Japan, where people do live longer. Mm. And Dr. Hall covers the fact that these people just move daily, like not through spin classes or going to the gym or like, doing like, massive bench presses, but just by just moving all the time, yeah. you know, walking to the shops, eat more natural foods. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's safe to say that in Europe, we are probably the most obese and overweight nation at the moment, aren't we, Mike? So why do you think that is? Is it more of a Western world thing? Is it down to, would you say, lack of education? Would you say it's down to food being more omnipresent? Like you can go to a, a petrol garage and pick up a chocolate bar and a sandwich and all these things, or do you think it's just down to simple laziness? You know, comparing our own personal thoughts to experts like Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who talks about diet, activity, stress, sleep, and sort of mental health. And I think a combination of that in, with regards to sort of education too, you've only got to look at places where there's more fast food joints. You've got 30% more chance of becoming obese based on where you live as well. And that's got to be a big part because, you know, you're surrounded by temptation, surrounded by cheap deals. Your environment plays a huge part too. And I think we're living in a culture now where we want everything quite quick. Like I remember when I grew up, my mum always like cooking dinner every night like cooking a proper like home cooked dinner but nowadays i think even myself as well it comes down a bit of laziness as well we we maybe eat out more we get takeaways more we can order through apps it's mm. just a little bit more available to us thinking back to the day when we grew up i think i was about oh, 16 when i had my first mobile phone and these are the old school nokia 3210s if those of you who don't know what that is google it nokia 3210 that was the the original snake. mobile that was our oh, snake that game it, and, yeah. yeah and obviously text messages where you had to pay a certain amount to, to get like at least 10 messages and and you used, this to, make unlimited your, used to used yeah. to, be to make your own ringtone i think on that one as well didn't you oh yeah it's all mono mono ringtones nothing like it is nowadays yeah. even then growing up i still had dial-up rather than broadband and as soon as you get to broadband it's like a completely different change of speed and and nowadays the thought of having that speed broadband is like well that's way too slow and we <laughs> everything that we have nowadays is, is like too too easily available so the thought yeah. of having to spend 30 minutes cooking a meal is like oh really yeah rather than, well i can get this meal delivered to me in 15 minutes or i could microwave this meal in two minutes you know what waste 25 minutes and I can get it done in three minutes yeah I think kind of what you said there as well I think it's a bit sort of quicker like kids are more on iPads kids are more on mm. mobile phones of what they used to like I, I sound really old now when you say like back in the day like I used to be down the park for hours I used to only go back yes. for like dinner and then I was out again exactly. building a ramp somewhere do you know what I mean 
I was gone all day. So I think as a younger, as our generation probably did move, mm. generally more and more than the kids nowadays. I think there's so much more distractions which aren't active related. There's less of that. And it goes back to the whole point of that daily sort of movement. And, and we're not generalizing people or generalizing the cause of it because there are some deep rooted issues that does cause obesity. We're not experts, but you know, one thing that we do agree on is that exercise itself does massively help close stress loops. And stress is a, a big part of obesity. People kind of like use food as a comfort. Also, sometimes boredom as well. And exercise can help close that sort of stress loop and allows you to, to make more, say, informed decisions whilst also creating a much better energy balance for you. Yeah, I think what you said, Mike, as well, like a, a lot of adults emotionally eat. That is a, such a big thing. It's down to like probably our psychology more. I mean, even nowadays when, you know, there's so much information out there regarding food education and well, sometimes it, it boils down to our psychological attachment to food is a bigger driver than actually what we know. So it's all our emotional side versus our logical side. If you've ever read the old chimp paradox, but also Mike as well, do you think there's something in certain i know we use the word somatotypes but most people will know that as as body types you've got like where you had like an endomorph which was typically someone wide-hipped wide shoulders quite short and carried quite a high fat percentage you've got a body type that is someone who's typically more mesomorphic which means quite muscular narrow waist broad shoulders strong legs then you've got someone who's ectomorph someone who's you know tall thin narrow shoulders and narrow hips and a lot of people maybe suggest that it is genetic. What do you think when it comes to obesity or, or even being overweight? Genetics do play a little part. You can't argue with that. However, I think we spoke offline about this and we were just saying that you can still control what you put in your mouth. And as we do get older, our metabolism does slow down. And the problem is we continue to eat the same amount of food. So naturally, our age, our weight increases, as I mentioned before in the stats that the in adults, the majority of people that are overweight or obese are in their 50s, 60s and 70s, sort of that age range as well. So by the sounds of it, people are still consuming the same amount of food, but are moving less. So we can control what we put in our mouth. And that's going to be a big part of that and understanding it. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think when it, when it comes to, we can, we can always hold this almost this crutch that I'm a certain body type, you know, my mum was this way, my nan was this way. So I've seen people that have been five stone overweight and they've turned around and said, I will never be 60 kilos or whatever they're aiming for. And they've done it. They've done it and they've kept it off. And it's kind of letting go of that, almost that crutch of kind of going, well, I tried, but this is my body type. I've tried, I did give it a go though. So I think being overweight or being obese is probably more environmental. It's who you have around you. It's your partner. It's your family. It's your, even down to your friends. Do your friends rather go down to the pub a few nights a week? Then you're more likely to go down the pub if, if your partner's not very health conscious and pretty out of shape, then that is going to feed onto you as well. So I think it's a lot of it is going to be more environmental than it is coming from genetics and whatnot. But Mike, we're going to delve into unknown territory, scary territory, mm. fat kids, people lose their mind on this. Now I've done a Facebook live on this and people were 
quite quite interesting the top subject but people are a little bit angry as well it's important to to recognize that childhood obesity is very serious and it needs to be sort of not swept under the carpet dr rangan chatterjee he mentions that one in 10 children are, are obese when they start school, which is quite scary. Yeah. Only one in 20 children who start school obese will be a healthy weight when they leave primary school. My son started school last year and he's five. That's scary to think that by that age, that kids are classed as obese. Yeah. Like I said, this is where people are going to go, oh, Matt, you're, you're an idiot now. But, you know, because you haven't got kids or whatever. But... Oh, I think you said is true, Mike. I think we've got to look at more of a preventative measure rather than the cure, cure later. Yeah. Like, you know, if kids are potentially developing type 2 diabetes in the adolescence, that shit is not cool. And I think as a parent, this might sound really harsh, but I think there has to be a level of acceptance. Your mm. kid is the way he or she is because of you. It's not because you're evil it's not because you want your kid to grow up with type 2 diabetes it's usually the other way it's usually out of love because you're giving your child everything you may not had when you was growing up so you're treating them with nice food cakes and stuff because you essentially love them but from a health perspective if your child is heading towards type 2 diabetes in adolescence then that is scary a poll was done and 84% of parents believe their child's breakfast is healthy. That's yeah. the thing. It's not done perhaps deliberately that we generally sometimes feel that we're giving our kids the right stuff. And bar means I'm not a perfect parent, far from it. It's one thing that I do notice, especially with the behaviors of children when they eat certain foods, they just honestly, they, they kind of spike massively in regards to their energy levels and they have a massive crash. Not until I look at the back of an, a packet of food. Wow. 14 grams of sugar, no wonder. And these are the sort of like these kids' snacks that are promoted to be sort of healthy snacks to parents. Yeah. And then I wanted to drop in there as well what you're saying, Mark, as well, because you're a parent, so you can probably have even more of a comment on this than me. But if you want your kid to lose weight, if they are overweight or obese, and you, you do want them to, to, to lose a little bit of weight, because the biggest thing that, that you, the worst thing you could do, sorry, for a kid would be to like weigh them and shame them oh. yeah i think like you don't want to make your kid aware that they are overweight because we worry about this as adults most of our adult lives like everyone even me myself i worry about the way i look mike worries about the way he looks it's kind of almost very present with us all the time so when the kids we don't want to facilitate this feeling of being very body dysmorphic so the last thing we want them to do is weigh themselves or to start counting calories or anything like that that we may have to do when we're adults because these are these are adult things to do we don't want to overwhelm a child with those two things it's such a delicate time for a child um any age really that they pick up stuff from their parents behavior and and one thing is that's always recommended by a lot of experts is to lead by example you know be the change that you want to see in your kids if they see you eating different things at breakfast, then it's likely they're, they're going to more mm. chance that they're going to want to try it too. One big thing I, I did see as well, which I totally agree with, is that don't take away stuff that they enjoy. Rather than take stuff away, why don't you just fill your cupboards with more healthier choices, but still keep the stuff that they enjoy too, 
but yeah. the majority of food that they will have access to will be more sort of healthier choices rather than saying, right, no more crisps, no more sweets, no more chocolate. We're going to eat broccoli, carrots and cucumber all day long. You know, rather than just take it away because you do run the risk of association with them as bad or good. Yeah. That kids have enjoyment with their food. Yeah. Like we do. We enjoy it. Like me and you, we enjoy crisps. We enjoy chocolate. You know, I don't. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Vegan and I, we always do eat, eat grass. That's what we <laughs> yeah, grass are nice. That's nice. <laughs> and, and as Mike was saying as well, if you've got a kid who doesn't like veg as well, because I, I, I know adults who turn around, oh, so like, I don't eat veg. I'm like, you're an adult. You're an adult. What's going on? <laughs> um, but yeah, there are adults that don't eat veg, but there are kids that obviously won't eat veg as well. So as Mike was saying, you don't want to remove, you don't want to change their diet too much. As adults, maybe try and think about maybe removing the really hypercaloric foods out there. You know, instead of having like a McDonald's takeaway, make one at home because it is going to be less in calories and is essentially the same thing, isn't it? It's interesting, like the whole sort of how you prevent this from happening. There's a, a really good charity um, called Henry. And what they do, they design to support a healthy start. Professor Mary Rudolph a pediatrician and expert in child growth is um, their academic advisor and supports the program to help with ongoing development. They talk about empathy. I think that's important, you know, especially for, for PTs or for parents, you know, try, trying to relate to kids because it's important. You know, we were a kid once and we know what it was like eating and saying growing up rather than just stay there and say, right, son, how many grams of fiber does this broccoli have in it before you educating them too much on it? It's just, you know, it's important that, they enjoy their food, but it's still incorporating, you know, the, the healthier options to give them more choice. Yeah. And even like moving away from food as well, we've got to think about activity trackers are a good way to engage your kid in maybe some sort of challenge almost. Mm. So you can get like, you don't have to get like an, an iWatch or a Fitbit. You can get like a cheap shitty one off Amazon for like next to nothing. And if you've get the whole family involved in like a step challenge almost and almost add that, sort of competitive nature now and then we obviously want to put some sort of motivator or a reward in place now this is really important as well that reward doesn't want to be food okay because no. if we reward with food we do this as adults all the fucking time we reward ourselves because we've stuck to the diet for three days do you know what i mean with like two bottles of wine and a dominoes so the last thing we want to do is reward kids with food mm. think of a way you can reward them this is your job as parents to be like is that a new xbox game is that a sticker chart or whatever yeah. it may be losing weight or fat loss it's a lot of people struggle with the the long term the waiting for it it's a the short-term excitement of eating the food or overrides the long-term the joy of resulting in weight loss and i think it's important that kids understand that they don't not everything happens straight away from them they need to kind of be able to have the patience and the yeah. persistence to, to to be able to build things up to get that long-term goal yeah and i think if you've got this all in place as well and it still fails and it is getting a, a little bit harder not receiving the step challenge well we've got to set some i don't like using the word discipline i like to use the word boundaries in place as well so we've got to think of ways of essentially giving them a motivator so that could be changing the wi-fi password take their phone charge away from them and by all means do not argue with your kid because at the end of the day you are the boss because you're doing it for their greater good because as harsh as it sounds just to wrap up this podcast as harsh as it sounds if you don't do anything now 
your kid could potentially grow up being diabetic, bullied through school, be unhappy as a kid, teenager, and even adult. I love my kids to bits and do the best that I can in regards to sort of like trying to live a healthy, active lifestyle. Same my wife as well. She's she's active and we generally eat as well as we can. Mm. And, you know, don't get wrong, my kids like a McDonald's, they like ice cream and, and that sort of stuff, but it's not something that we, we kind of give them all the time. To parents out there, it's hard. It's not easy. And trying to change a child's eating behavior is not easy at all. My son would not eat any protein-based sort of meals for a good six months, and I couldn't work out what to do. So we went through all the websites, spoke to all the different parents, and his kids will sometimes take their time and, and adapt to stuff. And now, he, you know, he'll, he'll eat a little bit of chicken now, but it's, it's still progress. He's vegan. Yeah. Just accept it. Accept, accept it. it. I can't, I can't. Come with us, come with us. We're vegans. I've got some tofu. Come here, come here. <laughs> We're trying to be able to relate to you guys out there as, yeah. as parents and non-parents. Yeah, and I think we wanted to create this podcast, not to infuriate anyone, but just to open up discussion. So if this podcast resonates with you, fantastic. If, you know, it outrages, outrages you, also it's good because this is opening up conversations that need to be had because it is a touchy subject. Adults don't want to talk about and especially around children as well. So Mike, what's your final words for today, mate? Final word today is as always, stay safe, stay well, and uh, thank you for all the support. What he said. All right.